Hello everyone and welcome to today's edition of After the Final Whistle. I am your host Brad Clear. It is Saturday, November 23rd and this is a podcast here on After the Final Whistle that I've been wanting to do for some time now Um, and it is about the San Antonio Spurs and their situation as is, their start to the season, their current state as far as how they've been performing this year. And it's been a topic that's been largely discussed by many. And coming off of seeing them play live in person last night um, against the Sixers, losing and falling to 5-11 and on the season, I felt this would be the perfect time to really just take a deep dive into this Spurs situation. It's been something I've been really wanting to discuss, been looking at recently. So let's just get right into it. So we look at the Spurs, right? As I just mentioned, 5-11 and 11 on the season. Look at their offensive rating and defensive rating as far as their place in the league. They have the 5th ranked offense in the NBA. Somehow. I don't know how it's happened, but they have the 5th best offense in the NBA. And alongside of it, have the 28th ranked defense in the entire league. Their defense has been bad. Really bad. And... The discussion that I wanted to get into on this episode really centers, as does any discussion on the Spurs as is right now, this discussion centers on LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. Now, some statistics here, those ones I just mentioned from NBA.com. These ones here, a combination of the recent piece put out today by Tim Bontemps at ESPN and Basketball Reference, With DeRozan and Aldridge on the court, the Spurs have a minus 5 net rating, and within the starting 5 that they've been rolling out until their last two games with Trey Lyles playing at the 4, Aldridge at the 5, DeRozan at the 3, Forbes at the 2, and DeJounte Murray at the 1, they've been outscored by nearly 9 points per 100 possessions. And the offense I just mentioned, again, somehow is the 5th best offense in the NBA, But statistically, the sort of things that you'd want in a modern offense, right? The things that you'd want in an efficient offense and one whose shot selection um, is befitting of a modern, um, efficient offensive structure, their rankings are very bad, right? Uh, Points off turnovers per 100, the 27th. Second chance points per 100, 23rd. Points in the paint per 100, 22nd. Half-court points per possession, 16th, 19th in effective field goal percentage, and 30th, last, dead last, in three-point attempts and three-pointers made per 100 possessions. And the offense is simply outdated. Outside of Bryn Forbes, in that starting five, you don't have anyone who's going to shoot from three. DeJounte Murray's not a threat. DeRozan has only taken four threes all year, has not made a three since last calendar year, he clearly is just does not want to shoot threes. He just does not want to take them. LaMarcus Aldridge is not going to shoot a three. Um, Bryn Forbes is the only one in that starting five um, that, they, that they've been throwing out their last two games with Jakob Pertl, LaMarcus Aldridge, DeRozan, Forbes, and Murray. Bryn Forbes is the only guy you have to worry about from three. So there's no emphasis within that offense on taking threes, and 
getting the value that shooting a lot of threes brings to an offense because obviously three is greater than two by 50%. So with Aldridge and DeRozan, the Spurs have an offensive rating just under 109. Without them on the court, they have an offensive rating of 115 and their defensive rating is 99.7. That is staggering. And additionally, the real crux of this with the Spurs is even though the offense, as I just mentioned, is not one that has a good shot selection as far as efficiency is concerned and doesn't emphasize what a modern offense should, it emphasizes what players like DeRozan and Aldridge are clearly most comfortable with. What really is taking this team down to the level it is at at 5-11 and is their defense is abysmal. It's bad. It's very bad. They are... It's funny because on defense, they're trying to get other teams to shoot mid-rangers, which on offense is the significant dominant source of offensive shots that they themselves are taking. But even still, they're getting destroyed from three when they're on defense. They're getting destroyed by other teams shooting threes. Other teams are shooting well against them at the rim. Other teams are shooting well against them in the mid-range. And you look at the starting fives they have out there, you're playing DeMar DeRozan down at the three. DeMar DeRozan's never been someone who's a solid... You know, this is something that everyone else has said, but DeMar DeRozan's never been known for his defense. And now he's playing at the three, and then you have DeJounte Murray at the one, and Bryn Forbes at the two, and Bryn Forbes is a little bit smaller. And when you've been playing Aldridge at the five and Trey Lyles at the four, you have no hope with that group of five on the defensive end. And even more so in these 16 games that they've played, again from the Tim Bontemps article and just looking at the schedule, 10 of those 16 teams were below 500 teams. So it's not as though they're playing a very hard schedule, and it's not as though their opponents are of such high caliber and high quality. It is just simply put, you look at the structure of this team and the pieces that it has, it's almost two separate teams combined into one where one group is this group of interesting and talented young guys who can play defense who can or can shoot. And then the other half is veterans making a decent amount of money with years left on their deals. And then DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge as what are supposed to be your top two guys, but are not conducive to you being a productive team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And on the offensive side of the ball is forcing your offense to not take the shots that you should be taking as far as getting to the rim and shooting threes. Now, specifically, let's 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 get into DeMar DeRozan here. So, as I mentioned, DeRozan's taken four threes all year and straight up just does not want to take threes. You know, watching them in person last night, there were multiple instances in which DeRozan off the dribble had space to put a three up. Um was open off the catch and could have easily had, with 10 feet of space, a catch-and-shoot three. There were multiple instances in which DeRozan had the space or was wide open enough off the dribble or off the catch to shoot a three. And he clearly was not willing to put up that shot and has not been willing to do so really as a spur. Because as we've seen now, Toronto, in his last season with Toronto, he started shooting threes. And he wasn't terrible, but clearly... That was something that was not him wanting to integrate it into his game. It was Toronto saying to him, hey, we want you shooting threes. Take 
threes, shoot threes. Whereas San Antonio is saying, hey, get the shots that you want. And he wants to shoot in the mid-range, and those are the shots he's taking. And the thing with DeRozan on this team is not even just him playing at the three and that making their defense not great and his shot selection not being great, which even still they're a top five offense somehow. But the thing to me with DeRozan's presence on this team is it is taking away the ability for them to experiment with different groupings of their young guys and in certain cases, it's just completely disallowing them the ability to play certain young guys. By certain young guys here, it's Lonnie Walker, right? There's no path for Lonnie Walker. They picked 18th two years ago, or 2018, the 2018 draft. There's no path for him to have minutes. And DeJounte Murray and Derek White, who are both great perimeter defenders and would be a really interesting duo if I'm the Spurs, you know, to trot them out there and to really see how effective and consuming they can be as a defensive pairing in the backcourt, they've barely played together. DeJounte Murray, uh, Derek White, and Bryn Forbes as a three-man group have barely even played together. And Lonnie Walker, again, as I mentioned, does not have a path to consistent minutes. And to me, those are the instances and the things this team needs to be doing. Putting Murray and White out there together and seeing how effective they can be putting Murray, White, and Forbes out together and seeing how those three guys work together, uh, giving Lonnie Walker minutes and giving him time and, rep to, and reps to develop and to progress as a player. DeRozan's presence on this team disallows that from happening. And based on the structure of this team with the pieces they have, I just mentioned, you have those three guys, um, or four guys, Murray, White, Forbes, and Lonnie Walker. You have Marco Bellinelli. You have Patty Mills. DeRozan has to play the three with the pieces this team has. And I've always been someone who has been a proponent of DeMar DeRozan. I've always liked him. But I think at this point, it's clear that if DeMar DeRozan is one of your top two players or top two offensive options... Your team is kind of capped at a certain level, at a certain ceiling, because to me, as much as I like the guy, he isn't a championship contending type of player. He's the type of player who, if you're a team who's comfortable with just making the playoffs year in and year out as a mid to low seed, and you're fine with that, then he's your guy, right? He's going to put up numbers, he's going to put up offense, um, and he's going to be someone who can get you over the hump as far as being a 9 or 10 seed level team into a playoff level team. That's the type of player he is. He's not a guy who contributes significantly to winning and at a championship deep playoff contending level. And we saw this too with Toronto, right? When he was still with Toronto and him and Lowry were playing, obviously Cleveland dominating them is something that really is its own thing, but there were instances in which at the end of playoff games, DeRozan would be benched. DeRozan wouldn't be on the court, whether it be just a bad offensive night, whether it just be the fact that he wasn't able to really contribute a ton defensively. He puts up numbers. He can score, but he's not going to shoot threes and he's not going to play high-level defense. He's not going to be the guy who can be a top two option or two one of the two best players on a really good team. 
And this is something also, when you think of that, this is something that Chris Herring has said and Tim McMahon have said. If we really look at it, right, and you're a championship contending team, you're a team that can compete into June, that can make it to the conference finals, can make it to the finals, what exactly is DeMar DeRozan's role on that type of team? What is the ideal role for DeMar DeRozan on such a team? And they said, and I agree with, I think DeMar DeRozan's best role on a team like that is being a third option in the sense of being a very good sixth man, where let's say you have your top two superstar players, and when they're off the court, if you're not staggering them, you have DeRozan on the court, and with your bench unit, he can be a guy who creates offense and can create shots for himself off the dribble. And he's someone who can just be someone who creates shots, who is an offensive creator while your top two scorers or top two guys are off the floor. In the sense of being a lesser Lou Williams without the three-point shooting. And I think that that's something that if you really think about it, the best case scenario for DeMar DeRozan on a contending level team is being the third option. And being that third option in that role I just mentioned. Because to me, that is where the most value would come out of DeMar DeRozan. Because if he's one of your go-to guys in your starting five, as I just mentioned, your team is kind of capped at a certain level. But if he's your go-to guy as your top scorer off the bench, you have a leg up on almost every other team's in the league's ability to score with their bench pieces, you know, besides Lou Williams with the Clippers. And even still, a team like the Clippers could use another offensive shot creator off the bench like DeRozan. I mean, it's not going to happen, but still. Now, moving away from the discussion of the role in which a truly contending team, DeMar DeRozan, would fill for that team, I think a real interesting thing to look at is, you know, clearly the Spurs would be better off, I believe, moving DeMar DeRozan. Because, as I mentioned, taking away minutes from young guys, disallowing certain groupings of young guys... Emphasis on shooting mid-range jumpers, which makes their defense overall or their offense overall, despite being the fifth best in offensive rating, um, not a modern one that takes the right kind of shots and playing out of position at the three and therefore really disallowing their already abysmal defense to improve. The best course of action would be for the Spurs to be able to move DeMar DeRozan and trade him. But what value does DeMar DeRozan really have, right? DeRozan's making 27 mil this year. He's got a player option for next year at that same exact figure. And this is an interesting option decision because I can't envision a way in which he would come close to that figure as an annual salary. There's no way. If you were to go for a multi-year deal, I would expect it to be something like 3 for 45, right? Or 3 for 42. Maybe that's a bit... Maybe I'm shooting it a bit low there, but I can't see a way in which DeMar DeRozan's more than a $15 million a year player or $16 million a year player on a three-year contract. So that's a very interesting option decision because, sure, you can get the extra years, but you're not going to come close to that 27 or twenty or $27.7 million figure in annual salary that he would get if he exercised that player option for next year. Now... There was a little bit of scuttle and some buzz earlier in the season about how Orlando had kind of sniffed around the idea of trading for DeRozan. 
to me, I think of maybe a team like the Charlotte Hornets. They have cap space this coming summer. They have money to spend this offseason coming up in 2020. They have significant um, expiring contract figures in Bismack Biombo and Michael Kidd Gilchrist and Marvin Williams. So in the sense of the Spurs not having to take back long-term money and the Spurs or the Hornets getting themselves the ability to appeal to DeRozan um, and have, a, I guess, a leg up on other teams trying to sign him in the sense of, hey, he's already been in here. He knows what we're about, etc. Maybe, you know, I'm not advocating for it, but you can kind of piece together a rationale for doing such a trade if you're the Charlotte Hornets. I just struggle. One, should DeRozan decline his option? Look out at the teams that have space this coming offseason, right? The Memphis Grizzlies, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Charlotte Hornets, the Atlanta Hawks, those types of teams, they're not going to be signing DeMar DeRozan. Besides the Hornets, I cannot see any of them signing DeMar DeRozan. So I really don't necessarily know if I see that great of a market for DeRozan as a free agent, even in a limited free agent market this coming summer with the types of teams that have space available to them besides the Charlotte Hornets. And maybe that is a stretch. I don't know. But in looking specifically now, as far as a trade is concerned, you know, if we're assuming that you're either trading for DeRozan as a rental or you're trading for DeRozan making $27 million a year, both this year and next, and he's a guy who is ball dominant, doesn't shoot threes, and doesn't play good defense, I'm not sure that that type of player holds a ton of value. And I struggle to look at the trade market should the Spurs go that route, especially past December 15th when the many free agents that were signed this summer are eligible to be traded. I struggle to see a destination that makes sense as far as a trade for him. And I also struggle to see exactly what kind of value in a trade sense does DeMar DeRozan hold with the money that he is owed. But to me, it's clear that the Spurs would be better off with not having DeMar DeRozan on this team and by trading DeMar DeRozan. Now, will they and should they are two different things. Should they? Absolutely. Will they? I don't know. Because again, they don't make many in-season trades. They seemingly still want to be competitive and think he can contribute to them being competitive. And there is not, to me, a clear, as I've said multiple times on this podcast previously, there's not a clear destination. And I don't really think that he's someone who holds a lot of trade value with the money he's owed and the player that he is. So it's a very complicated, um, I guess, situation as far as what they do with DeMar DeRozan. Because clearly the best option is to trade him. But again, there is not a clear destination or market for him. Now, moving away from DeMar DeRozan, let's go to LaMarcus Aldridge. And LaMarcus Aldridge, to me, is on the wrong side of 30, obviously. But from last year to this year, he is noticeably slower and is noticeably playing older. And defensively, especially, this is seen. He's a step too slow, and he's really, really not an impactful presence at all on the defensive side of the ball. And especially when he's playing at the five, and they're playing the lineups with him and Trey Lyles and DeRozan and Forbes and Murray, as I said in the beginning, that lineup had no chance in a defensive sense. Offensively, he's always been a guy who's been slow and methodical. 
operates pretty much exclusively in the mid-range. He's at 26 mil this year. He's got a recently fully guaranteed from what was once a partial guarantee to a full guarantee in October. The Spurs fully guaranteed his salary for next year, $24 million. Um, the Spurs, as themselves looking at their roster, they're not stocked with bigs as they are with guards uh, like Murray, White, Forbes, and Walker. You look at the bigs they have, you know, Jakob Pertl is a young, but he's really a role-playing five. Lucas Hominich, I love, was a fantastic draft pick. He's a project. He's in the G League now. But even still, he's likely a really good bench stretch four. So it's not as if Aldridge's presence is taking away minutes from young guys who should be getting reps and time in the lineup, whereas DeRozan is doing so. It's just that Aldridge clearly has aged and clearly is declining and is not someone who can really um, stick with guys defensively, especially those that, if he's playing the fours, those that are athletic or quick. At the five, if he's guarding um, you know, guys like Joel Embiid, for example, last night, he's not going to be a major force at that spot either. So he's not really someone who can contribute in a significant positive sense defensively. And with Aldridge, it's basically this. He's on the wrong side of 30. He's noticeably aged from last year to this year and gotten slower. The longer you hold on to DeMar- or LaMarcus Aldridge, the more his value continuously declines. His value is going to continuously decline as the months go by, as the weeks go by, as this year of his contract goes by and into next year. Because at 26 mil this year and 24 mil next year, I'm not sure that he really even holds that much value. Especially with how he's aged from last year to this year and isn't really someone who can be a force on the defensive side of the ball. And offensively is someone who slows down the offense and operates slow and methodically in the mid-range. If we have to look out and say, hey, where is the trade destination for LaMarcus Aldridge? You could maybe point out, hey, Portland obviously needs help at the four. Obviously, he was there as a major, major, major piece in his prime with that team. I guess that would be expiring Hassan Whiteside and a very highly protected first round pick, perhaps. But even still, I don't think Portland has any reason to trade for LaMarcus Aldridge based off of the options that would even be out there. Should they were should they become competitive again and be willing to trade for a piece at the four spot, Danilo Gallinari would make a hell of a lot more sense. Kevin Love would make a hell of a lot more sense. But right now, obviously, the Trailblazers are 5-11. and 11. They just signed Carmelo, and they're not in the position to make a big trade for a piece at the four. But even if they were, I would not advocate for them trading for LaMarcus Aldridge. And more so than DeRozan... You know, I I can't pinpoint any team out there that I look at and say, hey, that's a team that makes sense for LaMarcus Aldridge to be traded to. And with the fully guaranteeing of his salary for next year, to me, it just seems as though, even though, again, unlike DeRozan, Aldridge is not taking away minutes from young players at his position, but it seems as though they're stuck with Aldridge for this year and next year. And again, noticeably from last year to this year, Aldridge has declined and is someone whose defense is going to get worse as he gets older, as he ages, as he keeps getting slower. And overall, if you just look at it, I think a DeRozan trade is definitely more realistic 
than a LaMarcus Aldridge trade. But even still, the Spurs rarely, rarely make in-season trades and seemingly want to stay competitive and seemingly based off of how their offense is operated in a way that takes mid-range jumpers, which benefits what DeRozan and Aldridge want to be doing, clearly they seem to think that Aldridge and DeRozan are key cogs in keeping them competitive. If I looked at it, though, without LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, I think the Spurs would either be a similar, same quality of team as they are now, or perhaps even be better. I don't look at this team and think that DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are making them better. I think without the two of them, they would probably be the same quality of team. And perhaps even slightly better. I could definitely see that with the numbers I just mentioned as far as defensive rating and offensive rating in the beginning of the podcast. They'd be better set for the future with giving minutes and reps, especially those that go to DeRozan, to pairing Murray White and Forbes and playing Murray and White more and you know, not having DeRozan being there completely eliminating the ability to give minutes to someone like Alani Walker. I think uh, defensively, they'd obviously benefit. If you can play Murray and White significant minutes together, those two guys are stout defenders. It is going to benefit them significantly to not have Aldridge and DeRozan playing significant minutes for this team. They're in a place right now as an organization, the Spurs, where they have, as I mentioned, there's these two groups, right? There's Murray, White, Forbes, Lonnie Walker, the two first-round picks from this past year who were in the G League, and Lucas Samanich and Keldon Johnson. If they keep him, he's a restricted free agent this coming summer. Jakob Pertl as well. You have those groups of young guys. Murray's signed for four years for 64 mil. Um, Derek White is two more rookie deal, um, two more years on his rookie deal. Bryn Forbes is in his last year before being a free agent. They're going to keep him. Lonnie Walker's three more years on his rookie deal, including this year. Samanich and Johnson, I just mentioned. Enormous fan of Lucas Samanich, but both those guys are in the G League now. So you have those young guys, and then you have the vets off the bench in Patty Mills, who has two more years, combined total of $25.7 million owed to him. Rudy Gay, including this year, two years, $29 million owed to him. Damari Carroll, I love Damari Carroll. I liked the signing in the offseason when I thought they would still be competitive at, it's really a two-year deal, but we'll call it three years, $20.615 million. Year three is partially guaranteed at barely over a million dollars. Marco Bellinelli is an expiring contract in the $5 million salary range. So I think he is someone that they, if they were to want to, could definitely trade for something, maybe a second round pick. I don't think, I'm saying all these things, I still don't think that Greg Popovich would go this route of trading Aldridge or DeRozan or both and pivoting towards solely playing these younger guys on the team in addition to playing Mills and Bellinelli and Carroll and Gay. But again, I don't think they'd be worse. At the worst case scenario, they'd be the same team they are now. And if not, I think they would be better. I think their defense would be significantly better. And I probably would lean towards them being slightly better would they not have DeMar DeRozan and Marcus Aldridge taking up significant minutes for this team. Now... The thing with Dustin Aldridge is it just clearly with the group that they have and the pieces that they have and the overall unit that the team is, it just doesn't work with Aldridge and DeRozan. You know, DeRozan and Aldridge back. No, they're not. They're good players. 
but just isn't working. It's clear. Without his defensively, and they can try out the Superstar, they're not able to the or even a spectacle as 